Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Empire. you knew but you have no idea it's the urban sports scene you are listening to the urban sports scene with Wole, ray jeezy and will t parts of empire media at amppiremedia.com empire media hosts multiple dmv sports podcast shows such as the john Com report hosted by espn washington football team insider john Com and jones football hosted by usa today insider mike jones Subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. Just search the urban sports scene. This show can be found on Podcast DC, the new local app with hundreds of options in local news and health in the DMV region. Download the Podcast DC app to hear all of the Amplifier shows as well as other great content. Don't forget to tweet us at Urban Sports Scene and hit us up on our Urban Sports Scene Facebook page. Also, join our Urban Sports Scene Facebook group. Search Urban Sports Scene Sports Bloggers, Sports Podcasters, and Sports Debates. Let's get into our tradition, the pregame. Here's what we have on tap. We'll recap the Washington football team losing to the Green Bay Packers 24-10 and their upcoming game against the Denver Broncos. Tony McGee's pro football plus Washington football team reporter Donna Hopkins will jump on the show. At 8.30, we'll talk about the Washington Wizards 2-1 start. Finally, Kevin Nibley from Talk Nats will, will talk World Series with us. Braves versus Astros goes down tonight. But right now, we have Tony McGee's pro football plus Washington football team reporter, Donna Hopkins, on the line. Do you think that the, the Heineke experiment should end? Should they go Kyle, Should they go to, towards the Kyle Allen route? Well, you know, Kyle Allen is, to me, is pretty much a backup, too. I know that he played in Carolina, and they were trying to bring him up. But I don't know if he's 100% healthy yet with the injuries he's had. But when if you put him in a Cal Allen and over a Stella Heineke, mm-hmm. are you improving there? Are you upgrading that position by putting him in? And I would say no because both of them have different abilities and both of them have different struggles that uh, I know Heineke, not with the strong arms, he can beat you. I mean, he can do some things with his legs. But uh, Cal Allen, what is his strength? I mean, uh, to me, he's, he, he's not the complete package that you say. Uh, that you wanted a quarterback. So to me right now is that you would almost be starting all over again with the offensive line having to get used to, even though I know in practice they say that everybody takes snaps. That's true, but everybody doesn't work with the first team. So you got a Cal Allen, if you switch up that position coming in, then he's got to get used to the receivers. The receivers got to get used to him, the offensive line. And you, it's almost like you're starting all over again where – just work with your, what with what you got right now because, like I said, the three quarterbacks on the roster, they're, they're, to me, they're not going to make a defense uh, uh, fear anybody. How about Cam? 
Should they go after Cam? No, I, uh, absolutely not. I, look, look, I don't know why y'all bring that subject up to me because I told you from day one I would not bring him in here because I don't even know if Cam at the stage of his career. I know when he was with um, uh, um, the, the Patriots, and, you know, he was having a pretty good uh, training camp before, you know, they let him go. But, again, he hasn't gotten the vaccine, I don't think. So oh, you no. have to oh, deal with that. He did. He did. He got it. He, he did get he it. Did? Yes, he did. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so, Cam, so I beg the difference. Okay, Cam got the, the vaccine. Cam got the vaccine, but I'm still not bringing you into Washington because I don't know if he – because that's, again – well, the cam I think people are are mistaken is that the cam everybody knew when he first came to Carolina and he was this quarterback that was physical and you know he 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 was a nightmare for for the defenses. Not that he was a great passer or whatever, but that cam is no longer there. He, you know he's not going to run. He's not going to get away as much. Uh, I don't know if that upgrades the team either, um, but I just think that he's not the right fit for this team. Okay. I don't know who's out. It, it, you know, it's, it's a slim picking out there as far as who's out there and who's available, you know, as far as quarterbacks. And I just don't, I just think at this point that you got to go with what they've got and they just have to ride this ship until they can draft a quarterback, a, a future quarterback, of, of this team because to me this is a position that they haven't gotten right for for forever. I can't even remember back when that, that this position has been right, right since Mark Ripson's days and I think ever since or the Jason Campbells and they didn't even give him a chance to be in there with some hiccups there with the, the coaching staff with, with Jason when he was here but really since then who has really been come in and you can say Oh wow, that quarterback is of the that they're going to be the quarterback of the future for this team. Alex Smith was not that that person either, even before he got hurt. I didn't think he was. So until they get that position right, this team is in trouble. And I know we got ten games to go, but guess what? The panic button is already being pushed. <laughs> Speaking of the panic button, uh, Donna, it's been you know there have been a lot of distractions shall we say, um, surrounding this team, you know, from the fallout from the from the investiga- you know, from the investigation into the work culture, to the fallout from Bruce Allen's emails with John Gruden, um, and also the underperformance of this team which the NFL has um, called them out the the league has called them out on, called their management out on. Do you think these all of these distractions are affecting the product on the field? Um, I don't think I don't think that it's necessarily affecting them because it's there. I mean, the the players really don't have anything to do with that. But where it did affect them is with the trainers and the, and the health staff that you know that they had to get rid of uh, because of you know the situation there. I think that affected more, and I guess that is a product of everything that's going on with this team. So if you got to get used to new trainers and all of that, that does affect, uh, you know, as far as the health of the team, as far as them, if they have if injuries and so forth. But any distra- any distraction uh, off the field is going to affect the team in some way or another because you're in the headline and it's not a 
positive thing that you're in the headlines. And you thought that last year they were cleaning up some of these distractions and some of you know the things that's going on with organization. But come you know a year uh, later, they're just facing new things that's coming up and, uh, and more distractions. So it's almost like can can we have a, a season? where you just playing football is nothing else going on with the organization and this team for the longest have had these distractions and in the and i think what what you're saying is in the end it does affect the team to a certain degree because you can't even take a breath without looking over your shoulder and somebody is tapping you on it saying you know what's happening now you know what's in the news now uh, uh, and it's nothing pretty so that's what they've got to always face, and that to me is almost like a wear and tear on you, even if you're not totally, you know, involved in it. It's almost like the only thing people talk about uh, with the team is how bad they are right now, and they're two and five, and what's happening off the field with the organization. Well, that's even draining for me. I, I have a follow-up question to that question, Don. Um, because Ron Rivera is such a key figurehead for this organization, you know, we know that he, you know, everything around this organization revolves around him. He has his hands on everything from, you know, the um, selection of the front office staff. We know that he's, um, it's been reported that he has um, a role in a, in a little bit of everything with regards to the football operations. Do you think, what's going on, you know, all of the external things that's gone on um, with this team has taken away some of his focus this season from handling it with what he, what is most important, which is things on, you know, things on the field. Yeah, when you can't totally concentrate on, on, on the product on the field because you've got some of the other things pulling at you that you're trying to, you know, um, get right with the organization and clean up with the organization. And, and let's not forget, he's still dealing with, he, you know, as far as the cancer. I mean, it's not something like he's in remission, but that's something as far as with the stress and everything as a head coach and with the other things happening in the organization, that still affected him. And I think a lot of people forget about, you know, that he's still dealing with just, you know, being a survivor and, and just a year ago, you know, having to go through the treatment, and then now you come back a next, next, another year where you still having uh, to deal with a team that is struggling that instead of looking like it got better from last year, it seems like it's going the opposite way. So you got that to deal with. And like you said, he, he, he has a lot of control in various areas. And one thing that he wanted to do is change the culture of this team. And, and I think he changed some things culture-wise but it's some things that's just bigger than him that he can't control. Um, so it's, it's tough, you know, with all the things that he has control of and, and trying to, you know, put the, uh, a good product on the team. It has to be, uh, you know, pulling for, I don't know, uh, you know, for anybody. So, you know, I don't know. It's hard to be a head coach and a GM and personnel and all of that in one thing because some, something ends up suffering uh, one way or the other. Hmm. Well, let's, 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 let's talk about uh, possibility, possibility of Sunday. You know, that's why, that's why NFL fans love football because we know anything can happen on Sunday. 
Um, this Sunday, this Sunday, Washington, Washington football team goes to Denver to play the Denver Broncos. Do you consider this a a get right game for for Washington, or do you consider it a must win game for them? Every game at this point is a get-right game and a must-win for Washington because you don't know which team is going to show up each week because you look at the Kansas City game where they played against the worst defense. You know, one of the, their defense was one of the worst, and they ended up stumbling, you know, out of the blocks in that game and tripping themselves up. And then in the Green Bay game, you know, uh, they, they come out and play – much better had they played like that in that Kansas City game, they more likely would have beat Green. I mean, would have beat Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes struggling, you know, this year. But now they go up to Denver in a game that is winnable. Well, and we say that a lot that the games are winnable, uh, but but you got to be able to, you know, have a team that comes out and plays aggressive in, in, in stretches like they did uh, all three phases. Have you seen all three phases play solid? And I didn't even get on the, the kicker yet that they let the go Dustin Hopkins. And then, you know, you bring in a new kicker and he misses. He gets the first one block. So did you upgrade that position also? So, you know, uh, that's a Dustin Hopkins has got my last name. I'm still a little salty about that, that, that one. Uh, but, but going back, can you tell it in my voice? I'm a little salty about that. I can that, tell. But, I can tell. Yeah, yeah. But, but, again, but, but getting back to what you said, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a must win every game to me because this team has to show you that they can put together consecutive wins. We're on a, they're on a three-game losing streak right now, and they're catching a Denver team. Now, this is a, the, the thing that makes that game uh, interesting because to go up to Denver and you have to play in those elements, you know, the, uh, and it's hard to go up there and, you know, as far as the breathing and the altitude and all of that you got to deal with, along with, which team is going to show up in that game. So Denver is struggling on, on defense right now. And, and so if Washington plays like, you know, that, that they're capable of, which I don't know what they're capable of, capable of yet. But, um, <laughs> and then you got Teddy Bridges. Yeah, I really don't know yet what they're capable of because they keep saying, oh, we got this and that. And I think, like, I haven't seen all that yet. I've seen little glimpses of, of, of different things. Um, but they, they're catching Denver to me with, uh, at the right moment because Denver is struggling. Teddy Bridgewater is coming back from an injury that, you know, he's been there, I think, the last two or three weeks that he came back. And he hasn't been the same Teddy Bridgewater, you know, before he got injured. So he, he's struggling a little bit. And so uh, it's their defense. But Washington is struggling, too. So it's a game that you look at to say, hmm. Which team that is really struggling the most that will come out here and uh, and take this game? So, like I said, it's, it's, it, this is must win for Washington every game, every week that they go in because Dallas is playing well right now. And even though the Giants and Philadelphia are, are kind of like struggling and the NFC East is still not the beast that it was, hey, Dallas is winning. And they're kind of like putting games together. So... Um, um, it's it's going to be interesting to see that, that game because they get the bye week after the, the uh, Denver game, and then they have to, you know, that that hard stretch of the season. They face again with having to play Tampa, and 
you know, the, the divisional games, and it doesn't get any easier for them each week. And like I said, it's not that the other teams are playing so great, because this team has been in games, and, and, and like I said, uh, they, they should have won some of the games, but it's almost like they can't put together, you know, 60 minutes of a game, four quarters, uh, to come out as the winner. And when they get behind, it's just almost like, you know, throw all the book, throw all the playbooks out because you're kind of like playing catch-up from that point. Yeah, well, hopefully, you know, they get a W. But, Donna, before we let you go, how can folks catch you on catch you, catch your show and how can they catch you on social media? The Twitter handle, please. Yeah, social media. <laughs> yeah. Uh, social, <laughs> what was that? What was that? The Twitter handle, please. The, twi- Twitter, the Twitter handle, please. Thank my, you. My handle, my handle is uh, Instagram, DJ HLP. And then as far as the other social medias and stuff, just put in my name and you should be able to find me. Uh, Tony McGee's Pro Football Plus comes on every Wednesday and Friday at 10.30 p.m. on Mid-Atlantic Sports Net, which is Masson, and Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. and Sunday before kickout. Kickoff. Kickout. <laughs> I, must, I must be saying this. They, they, but I know they try to kick me off there because <laughs> they don't tell the truth. How many of them don't want to tell the truth? Oh, and not- we got homers on there. We got homers on the show. <laughs> but somebody's got to keep it real. You always do, Donna. You always do. Hey, Donna, thanks for being on. We appreciate you. Hopefully, we're we'll going to have you on. Well, I say, like, during the season. The season's almost over, for real. The season's basically over anyway. But hopefully, we'll have you on anyway. We got 10 more games. It's not over yet. Hey, so, it's not over hey, yet. Folks, and, I, and I promise you, next yeah. time, I won't be tardy. No, you're fine. <laughs> Don't worry. Folks will be next, net, net, Netflixing it, Netflixing and chilling, whatever, whatever the terminology is. They'll be next. <laughs> All right, Donna, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Always, guys. Later. Right, later. Again, that was Tony McGee's Pro Football Plus Watch Football Team reporter Donna Hopkins. Uh, you can catch her on Twitter at Donna Hopkins underscore. All right, the Washington Wizards are two and one. We'll talk about the Wizards' nice start to the season after the break. You're listening to the Urban Sports Team. Giddy. to the urban sports scene with Will T, Wole, and the homie Ray Jeezy. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. 
That's BlueNile.com. Will T, Rolay, and the homie Ray G. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I mean, listen, man. Listen, sometimes, hey, listen, man. A little bit older, you know, I'm quite, I'm, I'm, I'm inching towards 40. I'm not as sharp as I used to be, man. Right. I'm, right. With, I'm the same way, man. Look, I couldn't even say Netflix and chilling. I, I, I'm there, bro. Go ahead. The Washington Wash have started the season two or what? How has the team looked to you so far? Ray. So, Wole, we've had a previous discussion uh, in regards to the tiers, the different tiers of teams in the Eastern Conference. And the Wizards fall into that tier with teams like Toronto and Indiana, who they both defeated to start the season. So that's an excellent sign because you're competing with teams like this to either get into the play-in or hopefully get that sixth seed to be a playoff team, which initially people couldn't see that happening. But now after seeing them play two or three games, you say this Wizards team is pretty deep. The coaching and defense looks better, at least to the first two games. Mm-hmm. And also, it's just a different culture surrounding the team. Now they have just so many changes, again, on the personnel and the coaching front. And I feel as though for the first two games, from a ball movement standpoint, it's refreshing to see them make two and three and four passes on each possession and get good looks at the basket as opposed to, you know, one-pass shoot or isolation basketball. However, of course... In the Brooklyn game, because they got smacked in the mouth early and they had Brad back, I believe the team kind of reverted back to old ways, over, overly relying on Brad, as well as just taking long shots, three-point shots that weren't falling, and Coach has to make adjustments there. So, again, it's a learning experience when you're playing against a top team, a team that's coming in desperate as they were below 500 coming into this game. So I think the Wheelers will learn from it. I think Montrez Harrell is becoming the leader on this team, emotional leader on and off the court. And I like the moves that they've made. I can't wait till Rui comes back and I see how he fits in to the rotation as well as the, as well as the, the scheme that Coach Unsell wants to implement with this squad. So it's going to be fun to see how they, again, how they play against the teams that they're supposed to beat. But now you got teams like Chicago, of course, getting better. But the, the Detroit's of the world, you got to beat them. And also, Charlotte looks pretty good, too. Again, mm-hmm. that's the tier we said Washington was in. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they grow. And they're on the road again coming up this week. It's going to be an excellent test for them to see if they can get to 3-1 and one against a Boston team that I believe they can beat but look good starting yeah. out as well. Uh, I mean, I'm with you. Right? I think, to me, when, when watching this team, um, they're, 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 far, they're, they're better than they were last season. Um, they're, they're better coached. Um, just thought they're, they're deeper. Um, I think the, the the pieces fit, and Brad doesn't have to do a lot. You know, Brad didn't. I think Brad didn't play against uh, the. He didn't play against the Pacers, right, Ray? Nope, he didn't play against exactly. The Pacers. So you're able to beat a Pacers team without your best player because you're so deep. I mean, you saw what Dimwitty did um, in that game, and uh, you saw what Kuz did in that game. So to me, this team is deeper. Um, you're not really so dependent on Bradley Bill. Um, I, I didn't really watch the game um, against, the, against the Nets, but I did kind of hear about, you know, they were deferring to Brad, trying to see what, you know, but what you basically just said, like waiting on Brad to make a play and make a move, where, you know, this team, to me, where is that a situ- at a place where they don't really need that. They're a complete team in terms of the depth. They have, which, like you mentioned, they have Matres Harrell. They have Kuzma. They have Dimwit- um, Dimwitty. They have... Um, uh, Gafford. They have so many players. Even, you know, we make fun of him um, because he's overpaid, but in terms of a shooter, they have a knockdown shooter in Batons. 
So you have players in, in all facets of the game. In I know you're going to say that. In all facets of the game in terms of shooting, defending, scoring, um, playmaking ability, they have it all on their squad. So, so I think they're a better team. Um, I'm, I've been highly impressed um, with their defense. Um, regards to the fact where they lost to Brooklyn, but you still held Brooklyn to low 100 or whatnot. Um, you're playing good defense, solid defense. I think what's going to allow them to be in multiple games. This team, is, to me, is playing very good basketball. And I, they, to me, they set the tone by beating the teams in their tier. We talk about tiers. We talked about, like you mentioned, tiers. They beat Toronto. They beat the Pacers. That sets the tone for the season. Cause, because, again, like, yeah, they lost to Brooklyn. But like you said, Brooklyn was desperate. They needed a win. You know what I mean? They had to go to Brooklyn and play them. So they, and Brooklyn need that game more than the Wizards in terms of the mindset of their psyche because the, the Nets deem themselves not just playoff contenders but championship contenders or favorite, like the favorite. A lot of people have them as the favorite to win the championship. So there's a lot of pressure in Brooklyn. Where Washington, you know, they they just they just balling. So it's a, it is what it is. But I just think that you know I'm been I've been very impressed with what Washington's doing so far. All right, let me ask you guys this question: With a small sample size. What's the difference between Wes Unsell Jr. and former coach Scott Brooks thus far? <laughs> well, something that we learned a couple of days ago, Wole and I, was that the Wizards actually practiced. <laughs> uh, you the Allen Iverson clip, Wole, you the producer, baby. We talk about practice. Yeah, if I had time, I would. <laughs> practice, has, <laughs> practice has made a big difference for this team so far. And like people say on social media all the time while watching these games, the Wizards are running plays now. Last season, it was, I believe, Russ and Brad had the ball in their hands 80% of the time. And that has made the biggest difference from this, from last season to this season, is that you're moving the ball. Ball movement is so key. And, again, the rotations are clean. You're getting guys, fresh guys, in and out the lineup, and they're all on the same page, offensively and defensively. Like I said, the next game was the one that it got away from them because they got hit them out so early. So, so far, I think that's the biggest difference as, is that not only are they practicing more, but another word that was, was used was more professional, not giving guys days off holding everyone accountable. You know, I know Brad signed off on the Denwood signing, I heard, which means he's still the leader of the team. Yeah. But I think that Coach Unseld is holding him to the same level of accountability that he is each and every guy on the, on the team, which is, I think, perfect the, for, for the culture that he's trying to establish. So that's the biggest difference thus far. And that's crazy that you would think an NBA team would practice. But according to what we learned, Scott Brooks didn't hold many practices. <laughs> and uh, we, we saw the product that was put on the court as a result. It makes a lot of sense, right? When, when we heard it, it made a lot of sense. <laughs> At first, I was like, I, mean, I was like, he didn't just tell us that, and I was like, okay, now it makes a lot of sense. Like this dude, you could tell by watching that, watching the watching basketball games, like, you're like, what are you doing? What are you running in practice? Like that's the first thing would come would come to your mind, but obviously, he wasn't running anything. They were just chilling. It was club, it was it was club made up of that mug. They were they were living their best lives. They didn't have to do nothing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, but yeah, I, I, you see a difference. Um, defense, I mean, that's, that's obvious, right? Like, defense, how they're playing defense, how they're communicating. I just feel like, you know, they're just playing better basketball. It seems like there's a, there's a little more hunger. But also, you can say that, you can bring, you can say that's because of certain players have, have come to this basketball team. Like, you got guys who people kind of like ran, ran off. Like, in LA, they ran off Kuzma. And, and, you know, Montrez, they ran off Montrez to pretty much, they signed him to be a start, I mean, to be a six man, and they end up not getting any playing time in the postseason. So he's playing with a chip on his shoulder. So there's a lot that's playing, that plays a part, but I do, 
you know, I do believe that looking at Wes Unsell Jr., I'm starting to believe the dude's the truth as a coach. You know, we that was the question coming into the season, right? We're like, the Wizards roster looks a little bit, they look better. The roster looks better in terms of depth, right? We was like, the depth of the roster, they can do a lot with this, but it's all predicated on what the coach can do. And to be honest with you, again, it's a short sample size, but I've been highly impressed of what he's been able to do and what he's been able to instill on this in this team about you know, focusing or paying attention to detail. Because you see it when they're doing, even when they're playing defense, how they rotate, you know, how guys are kind of communicating or whatnot. So I've been quite impressed with them. Um, on Twitter, um, my man Cameron said, yes, it's because how deep their roster is. Different, the difference between Unsell and Brooks is Unsell makes better adjustments coming out of timeouts or halftime. So says that he like what's unsell makes better halftime adjustments. Have you peeped that, Ray? Or Will? Well, in the next in the next game, they cut the lead to nine. Yeah, uh-huh. in the second half, they were down. You know, they were down twenty plus, and they mm-hmm. cut the lead down to nine. And you saw that Brooklyn was starting to scramble because mm-hmm. they're like, wait a minute, we thought we had these dudes on the ropes, and the Wizards' body language never changed. Again, what messed the Wizards up was, you know, Brad was there, and mm-hmm. it's easy to want to go to him when he wasn't having a good night coming off that injury, and he's not fully healthy either so that was a, another issue so maybe he should have set up that game but mm-hmm. of course brad is looking to establish himself amongst the hardens and durant so he's not going to miss a game at brooklyn and it was a national televised game on nba tv so all those factored in and he didn't play so well so he's upset with it but i like Trez coming out afterwards and saying look we didn't play well and I, i'm not doing this i'm not i'm not going to be losing like this on, on national tv and brad's like dude it starts with me and he's like i got you dog and i'm like yes this is what you want to see as opposed to what, what, what was nothing but basketball-related stuff on social media for the Wizards players. There was the back and forth <laughs> between uh, – what's his name that was on Golden State? He's now on the Lakers. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're talking about um, Baysmore. Baysmore, yeah. you know, him and Brad had a back and forth. So it wasn't a lot of basketball-related stuff yeah, coming from Wizards players on social media. So that, I thought that was dope. Oh, okay, I, I'll take us to break. Hey, Talk Nats, Kevin Nibley will join us to talk about the World Series after the break. You're listening to Urban Sports Inc. <laughs> you dig? Doofy. Listening to the urban sports scene with Will T, Ray Jeezy, and myself, Wole, part of Empire Media. All right, right now on the line we have Kevin Nipley from Talk from Oh, excuse me, getting time fun side here, kind of late. That's my bedtime. Right now we have Kevin Nipley from Talk Nets on the line. What's going on, Kevin? Hey guys, how's it going? Good to have you on, my man. Good, man. Going good. Glad to have you on. As we, um, as game one of the World Series between the Atlanta Braves and the Houston Astros is happening now, what do you think, who do you think will win it all and why? 
Uh, that's a great question. Um, I'd say this is pretty close to a toss-up. Uh, on paper, you'd have to like Houston and their lineup. I, I think a lot of the quote-unquote experts would probably say Houston in six games. But, you know, on the other end, Atlanta's super hot. They beat the Dodgers, and they beat the Dodgers relatively, I don't want to say easily, mm-hmm. but, but comfortably. They, they certainly deserve to win that series. Uh, it didn't come down to lucky bounce or anything. Um, if I had to choose... I'm going to say, as much as it hurts as a Nats fan, I'm going to probably say the Braves at seven. Ooh. It just feels like it's their year, uh, their starting rotation. Mm-hmm. Well, not great on on paper. You could do better, but it just seems like more between Morton and Creed and Anderson that they'll be able to pull out enough starts. And, and while the Astros have a great lineup, their rotation's pretty hurt. Um, mm-hmm. McCullers Jr.'s out for the series. Uh, obviously, Verlanders, you know, hasn't pitched in a while. And, and Greinke might be kind of on the other side of father time so mm-hmm. it just seems like it might be the Braves year uh but I, again I think this is gonna this could definitely this is gonna be a long series I think and uh, it really could go either way right now the Braves are up to nothing uh in the is that the second second inning top yeah. of the second so yeah um yeah it's it's wild because um when you look at the Astros you know their team they're stacked they've been there before they have experience but I agree with the Braves are you know the Braves are hot. They're missing their best base, their best player, in Acuna, mm-hmm. um, and, they, and they're able to get here. I'm surprised they beat the Dodgers. To be honest, with you. I thought the Dodgers had an unfair team with stack squad, a stack <laughs> squad. Um, but I guess that you should be happy for them because they kind of did it the right way. Um, but going into this game, what are some of the key, like key matchups in this game to you? I mean, series, excuse me, in series. It's going to be all about the starting pitching. Um, You know, both teams have have had attrition in their rotations. Um, You know, uh, the Braves lost Mike uh, Soraka, who was their best pitcher last year. Uh, You know, and um, obviously the the Astros don't have McCullers Jr. and and Ford Verlander. Uh, So, you know, when you look at these rotations, uh, you know, it's going to be can Charlie Morton – you know, Ian Anderson and, and Max Freed hold down this Astros lineup. Um, and, you know, uh, but for the Astros, you know, they, they have a, like, the Amber Valdez is their number one starter right now. And, uh, you know, they have uh, Garcia behind them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not, the Astros don't really have that great rotation either uh, yeah. at the moment. They were able to get hot in the second half of that series against Boston. But to me, it's really going to come down to the starting rotation um, because both teams' lineups are, are hitting the ball right now. You yeah. saw the, the Braves lineup. Uh, you know, Eddie Rosario is like the greatest hitter in the world all of a sudden. Jock Peterson's been great. Uh, you know, they destroyed, uh, you know, the Dodgers rotation of uh, Scherzer. Uh, still hurts me to say that, but the Dodgers rotation of Walker, uh, Scherzer. Walker Bueller. Uh, Bueller and, and, and Urias is, you know, I mean, that was probably the best rotation left uh, in the playoffs, and, and the Braves bats crushed that. Mm-hmm. So. I think this it could be interesting. This series it might even come down to relief pitching. I think there could there's a potential for a lot of offense in this series, and it might be the teams that can kind of shut the other team down from the fifth inning on uh, that win these games. But um, it's definitely I wonder maybe because of the COVID uh, season last year, a lot of these teams pitchers you know they didn't pitch 200 innings, 150 innings last year, so. You're seeing a lot of attrition in, in the staffs of these teams that are left. Uh, so I think it might just come down to which team has the guys that can kind of, you know, close it down from the fifth or sixth inning on and, and you know, win these games. But I think it's going to be a good series. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be tight. Now, Kev, I appreciate the analysis. 
and I respect where you're coming from, but we have to root for the division. You cannot root for uh, oh. Dusty Baker, and we cannot root for the Astros, dude. The Braves have to win this. <laughs> you understand? I, I'm, I'm making a decision for you. <laughs> Uh, I don't. For me personally, as a Nats fan, Atlanta is like my least favorite team in, in all of baseball. Um, but uh, and, and also, I mean, the Astros are hard to root for. Obviously, they cheated. Obviously, they had a huge sign stealing scandal. I mean, this this to me does feel like you know, as a Nats fan, it's like we won the World Series in 2019, and then the world ended, and we had like COVID, you know, and then now and then now we have the Braves and Astros in the World Series. So I, I feel like we paid quite a penance for our, our title in 2019. Hopefully, this is kind of the end of that that road but but because, you know um i can't root for atlanta but uh, you know just uh, i don't want those braves fans feeling like that you know obviously they've won the division many times in a row but i would like for the nats fans to still kind of be able to say yeah but you know you didn't win the big one um so oh, i, I oh, think wow. uh, sadly i have to be for the astros <laughs> hey you're listening to the urban sports a part of amplifier media amplifiermedia.com right now we have we right now we're talking with talking Nats kevin nibley on uh, Kevin Nibley. So, Kevin, Kev, um, before I get to Dusty, well, I want to talk about Dusty, but you mentioned, you know, Morton, um, for who pitches for mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the Braves. You pitch for the Astros. And there, will there be some familiar, familiarity, um, yeah. with that pitcher, you know, cause he was on that championship squad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's going to be really key to Atlanta, you know, having success in this series. Uh, you know, I've freed, uh, seems to have worn down a little bit. Uh, the Dodgers really got to him in game five and, and you know, prolonged their season in the, uh, NLCS. Uh, Morton's like a real kill, uh, excuse me, a real key piece, uh, for the Braves in the series. Uh, you know, when, when you, if you remember, leave it to me to bring it back to the Nats 2019. <laughs> but if you remember in that series, uh, the Nats only won the games that, uh, Strasburg and Scherzer pitched. Yeah. Uh, you know, so for the Braves to take down the Astros, who, who have an amazing lineup, um, Obviously, their bats are going to need to hit, but they're going to need ace performances out of a guy like Morton, out of uh, Max Friedrich and the Anderson. They're going to need, uh, you know, them to to get through six innings, you know, in their starts, you know, holding the Astros at, uh, you know, two or three runs. Um, so, yeah, Mar- Morton's a, a big key. They're going to need him to be an ace in this series. So Ray already talked, Ray already talked about, you know, the dusty element of things, uh, but... Let's just say Dusty wins this World Series and the Astros win. What would Dusty? Mm-hmm. What would Dusty's legacy be? I mean, that's the only thing really missing from his resume. Uh, he he won a World Series as a player, I believe, with uh, the Dodgers in '81. But you know, as a manager, he he's never gotten there. And also as a manager, he's had some of the worst playoff losses that, you know in the history of baseball, aside mm-hmm. from Bill Buckner. I mean, Dusty Baker managed. Uh, the eight, or I'm sorry, managed the Giants in 2002. Uh, they had a, they were in Game Six, nine outs away from from winning the World Series with a five nothing lead, and they lost that game. They lost the series. He was the manager of the Cubs in that Steve Bartman game. Uh-huh. You know that famous game where the Cubs blew it, and like you know, and, and that poor guy became the scapegoat for an entire city. Uh, you know, <laughs> and obviously on a lesser extent, he managed the Nats to two pretty heartbreaking losses in 2016 and 2017. So he's had some really bad uh, luck in the playoffs. So yeah, I think for his career, at least as a manager, he was a great player. Yeah. But for a manager, he he needs this one, and this might be his last shot. I mean, you know, if. Uh, the Braves upset him here. Who knows? I, I don't think his job's in jeopardy or anything, but, you know, you just never know when you're going to get back. And, and I think this is might be his last best shot to do it. I do. I, yeah, I, I think it, this is probably – well, that, that Bonds team, that San Francisco team was pretty good too. Uh, this may yeah. be um, his best chance though just because 
I mean, the Astros have been in it. They've had the experience. They've won the championship already before. Um, so he got to take on his team. But I also, I think Dusty did a great job, you know, obviously with the, you know, with the whole cheating component. He took over mm-hmm. this team and he's gotten them back to the, you know, gotten them back to the World Series. So it kind of validated the team, right, to say, you know what, we were still talented enough to get to the World Series. Um, and Dusty mm-hmm. helped them do that, you know, because any other franchise, you know, dealing with that type of, you know, stigma, reputation, the pressure, you know, the, the, the crowds, you know, going crazy, calling them cheaters. They couldn't handle mm-hmm. it. But, you know, having a guy like Dusty who could kind of kill the noise, right, because that's what Dusty does. He kills the noise. He puts your best players at ease. He did that with Strasburg. He puts you at ease and to let you just perform the way you want to perform. He, he definitely, I, I think um... – one of his best traits was he brought a swagger to the mm-hmm. Nats in 2016 and 2017. I mean, when you look at those Nats clubs, those were some of the best clubs we had. I think he got – he had some really bad injury luck with those teams. Uh, you know, I think in 2016, Wilson Ramos, who was playing an all-star yeah. level, like, uh, he tore his uh, ACL, Achilles? I believe. Right, yeah, Achilles, yeah, I, I, it was, uh, he, he got hurt really late. It was like yeah. in September, and, and so did Strasburg. I think Strasburg – screwed up his arm so he went into one series minus Strasburg and Ramos who at the time was was like a number five hitter uh-huh. and then in 2017 uh you know uh, he had some issues Strasburg I think start had to get pushed back a little bit so he had to start Gio Gonzalez in two <laughs> of those five games uh you know he he never had like an enti- and, and Bryce Harper got hurt at uh-huh. the end of that 2017 season so he was able to play in that series but he wasn't a hundred percent so Dusty, you know, maybe Dusty Baker would have won one with the Mats if he had, uh, you know, everything going. But, um, yeah, no, he definitely brought a swag. He always got guys like Michael A. Taylor. He got even Wilmer Defoe for a while yeah. was, like, hitting second, doing great. He was able to – he was always able to keep the ship afloat no matter how many injuries. And, and that was one thing that he was great at as a manager for sure. Definitely, definitely. Kevin, before we let you go, what uh, what do you have featured on TalkNats.com and, and how can folks catch you on social media? Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, go to talknats.com. Um, it's a the best place to talk about Nationals baseball. It's uh, Nationals baseball is in flux. We got a lot of young kids. We're probably going to sign a bunch of new guys this offseason, so it's a great place to kind of educate yourself, keep up on that. Um, you can follow me on social media. It's just K underscore Nibley uh, on Twitter. A uh, lot of Nats posts, a lot of movie posts. I also have a movie podcast called Kevin and Brennan Give Notes. It's on okay. Twitter at uh, give underscore notes. Um, and we're going to be starting a new season uh, pretty soon, like in the next couple of weeks. Um, a, pr- a lot of doom. I hope you guys like doom because we're ready, <laughs> ready to talk about it. Well, yeah, uh, shoot oh, me, Kevin, shoot. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Will. Kevin, before you go, you, you mentioned one thing, and I, and I did want to ask you this. Heading into free agency, what should fans expect this team to do? Meaning, should fans expect a big spending spree or should fans expect this team to go and find a lot of marginal players and try to and try to develop them with the rest of this young roster that they have? Uh, for now, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say, but if I was the general manager, I would probably go the second route. It's not as exciting, but I would probably got to get a lot of one- or two-year contracts, like marginal guys, and try to flip them, sort of what they did last year where, you know, Last offseason, they got Kyle Schwarber just on a one-year deal. He was coming off a bad season. He obviously was great here. They were able to flip him for a prospect. Um, mm. You know, I think for the Nets, they probably need, as much as I would love to say that they're going to go out, sign a bunch of guys, and win the NL East next year, I think realistically 
maybe one more year in the wilderness. You know, I, I think I, I would say, though, for Nats fans, last year was probably the low point. You know, um, I would expect hopefully if they could put together a roster next year that could win 75, 80 games, something like that, uh, then they might be really ready to roll by uh, 23. It, it all comes down to the pitching. Um, if Josiah Gray can develop next year, and then they have a couple other guys behind them, like Kate Cavalli and Cole Henry and Jackson Rutledge. Uh, if, if you can get a couple of those guys up, and if if, if one of the two, if, if either Strasburg or Corbin can stay healthy and be good again, then they then it's like, all right, you have a pretty good rotation, then you can start signing some big free agents. I just don't think they're probably there this season. I think probably like another mediocre, another maybe not a horrible year next year, but a mediocre year next year. Uh, but then maybe Nats fans can really start looking forward to 2023. But we'll see. You know, I don't know. I'm not, the learners have a lot of money. If they want, they can go sign everyone, and they can be good next year. It's hard, it's hard to say. So. What, what do they do with Robles real quick? What, what, I'm going to ask you that. Oh, Robles. Uh, you know, Robles is an interesting uh, case. I mean, he was, a lot of people forget, he was rated ahead of Juan Soto. Yeah. Uh, way back in, in 2017, um, when Dusty was still the manager here, we were talking about trading for uh, GT Real Muto, who was on the Marlins at the time. And the Marlins wanted uh, Robles and Soto, and the Nats were like, we'll give you Soto, but not Robles. You know, so <laughs> Robles was a big prospect. Uh, you know, he obviously, he started off well in 2019. He obviously, last year was hard with the 60-game COVID season. It's hard to really get too much from that, but obviously he wasn't good this year. Uh, they did send him to AAA. He was doing okay in AAA at the end of the season. Um, but uh, they changed hitting coaches. Uh, Kevin Long went to Philadelphia and, uh, you know, basically it's going to be the job of the new hitting coach and Davey Martinez to try to fix Victor Robles. Because I would say I think they'll probably give him a shot. You know, Lane Thomas looked good at the end of the year, but I think Robles will at least have a shot, certainly in spring training at least, to get his job back uh, or compete. Um, but I would say with both Victor Robles and Carter Keboom, uh, like the, the clock's ticking. You know, I don't I don't I think this this 2022 is going to be. If it's the end of next year and they're still haven't you know turned into no-brainer everyday players, I don't. They probably don't have much of a future with the Nats, unfortunately. All right, one more question before we get you out of here. Seriously, yeah. um, <laughs> I have nothing. Second. I'm just going to watch the game after this. So yeah, you're, you're not keeping me from anything. <laughs> Juan Soto, um, he's coming up towards the end of his con his contract, correct? Yeah, yeah. Or, or well, not the. He he has, I believe, three more years. Um, but you know, in Nats land, people are already worried because we've lost Trey Turner, Anthony Rendon, Bryce Harper. So I, I think people are already worried about uh, what's going to happen with Juan. Exactly. Okay. So I'm going to ask you this, just from you, you know, kind of reading the tea leaves. What type of contract will it take for the Nets to be able to retain Juan Soto because of the? You know, the pace of play that he's played. You know, he played at a historic pace yeah. the first couple of years in the majors. What type uh, of contract do you think it would take to keep him in D.C.? Um, it's going to take uh, whatever the biggest contract in history is. Unfor you know, fortunately or unfortunately, that, I oh, think wow. that's, that's what it's going to be. But I... I've heard that, you know, you go on Twitter, you hear people saying, like, oh, they need to spend $500 million. I think that's crazy. That's like Scott Boris talk. But basically, if you look at uh, the biggest contracts, I think Mike Trout right now has it. Uh, it's, like, it's like 420. You know, I don't have it in front of you. It's something like 420 over 
12 or 13 years. Um, it's going to basically, they're going to have to beat the, the trout contract. If they were to, to try it this off season, they, they would have to top the trout contract, not by, not by 70 million, not, not, you know, all the way to half a billion dollars, but they would have to at least top that. I think, um, you know, I, I think if, if I were Mike Rizzo or the learner, I mean, that's also, that's a learner's decision. You know, that's a, a owner's decision to pay that much money to a player. But, you know, if I were them, with where the rest of the Nats roster is at, I would probably approach him this this off season, right after the World Series ends. And and if it was me, I would be like uh, 13 years, maybe 420, 430 million, something like that. Uh, you know, he finishes career here. He'll, he would be the highest paid player, at least for a few years, I would think. Um, you know, and he would obviously have generational, you know, his, his great, 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 great grandkid will be rich, right, you know, with that kind of money. Um, I would offer him that, and, and if his response is no, or if they want to play the market, then I would trade him. I know it's tough, and Nats fans wouldn't want to do it, but, you know, they would have to, I, I would think you would, you would try to flip him to get a bunch of pieces to rebuild, because right now the Nats need to rebuild, and, uh, you know, I, I think – they should address it sooner than later. They shouldn't do what they did with Rendon uh, or Harper and take it down to the final year. You know, I, I think right now they have to to really uh, either you know make him the best offer ever, and if he says no, he says no, and you and you know you 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 move on. You know, but I think that's kind of where the Nats are with him. Well, mm-hmm. well, Kev, appreciate you. Um, we have an off season. Hopefully, we'll have you during the off season. Yeah, anytime. Right. Always, always a pleasure to come back. All right. Thank, hey, thanks, Kev. Appreciate you. All right. Thank you, Kev. Take care, guys. All right. All right. So we're not going to again. Again, you can tweet Kev at k underscore nibbly um, on Twitter, and also talk nats on Twitter is at talk nats. All right. We're not going to talk. We're not going. We're not going to be making our week eight NFL picks. Uh, but you can check out our picks on the Football Garbage Time website. Just go to www.footballgarbagetime.com and you can subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. Just search the Urban Sports Scene. Also, you can also tweet um, tweet us at Urban Sports Scene. Hit us up on our Urban Sports Scene Facebook page. And uh, check out the home of the Urban Sports Scene, Amphire Media at amphiremedia.com. And this show can be found on Podcast DC. Download the Podcast DC app to hear all of the Amphire shows, such as... I mean, shows, I mean, some shows as well as other great content. Again, we appreciate everybody for tuning in. Um, appreciate all the guests, you know, Kev, Donna, you know what I mean? I always appreciate the homies, Will T and Ray Jeezy. Anyway, you've been listening to the Urban Sports Scene. For ages. You dig? Deuces. Hey, Mecca, lead us out, big homie.